0: job. Woo. Okay. I've got a couple questions for him here. What are we celebrating here this weekend? Anybody want to answer that? Yes.
1: Christmas.
0: Okay. Good answer. Anybody want to add to that? What, what about Christmas? What is Christmas all about?
1: Uh, when Jesus was born.
0: Okay, I'll take that. Jesus was born. Anybody want to add anything to that? I don't know. How about you, sir?
1: Um, I like opening presents.
0: How many like this time of the year because you open up presents? That's all right. You can say yes. What kind of presents do you hope to get this Christmas? Anybody want to answer that? Okay, right over here.
1: A remote control airplane.
0: Did you hear that, Mom and Dad? Remote control airplane. Okay, anybody else?
1: Boats. Multiple boat. Motorboat. A monster hydol
0: A monster? A monster what? Hi Hydol, okay. I don't know. I have no idea. Yes.
1: A fish.
0: A fish. A fish. Oh cool. A fish. Okay, one more
1: on a computer
0: I like it hey let's give him a hand out this way take him out that way If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 11, is where we'll be this morning. With all these kids up here, I was thinking of uh, a passage of Scripture where Jesus was uh, very profound in what he had to say about children and about what our attitude should be in coming to him. In fact, it's uh, Matthew 18, he says, unless you turn from your ways and become like little children... You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is that unless we become not childish, but childlike with uh, openness and honesty and humility, we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's a book I enjoy picking up from time to time around this time of the year, and it's, it's basically Kids Say the Greatest Things About God. And uh, they interviewed hundreds of kids be, uh, between the ages of 2 to 10, and uh, They had very simple questions, and these kids came up with some pretty profound answers. Some of them are pretty humorous. But uh, let me read to you some of these. Um, Who is Jesus? He was asking these kids, who is Jesus? And here are some of the responses. Ah, you know, Mary and God's boy. (laughs) Great response. Jesus, he's the one who makes clay, then adds powder, then shakes it all out, rubs it all around, and we become Real. What, like, you never saw Christmas before? He's in that. Good answer. And then uh, here's another answer. So who is Jesus? Jesus? Nobody here at this school with that name. I think my favorite, though, is this one. Jesus, who is Jesus? Jesus is God, only with real fingers and toes. Isn't that a great answer? That's really what we celebrate is the incarnation of God. God became flesh. He became human. And as we've been going through this series, we have been saying Christmas is more than a baby in a manger, more than a God with just fingers and toes. In fact, Isaiah 9-6 tells us that His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we've been working through those different uh, titles for Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Wonderful Counselor. And then last weekend, we looked at Mighty God. And so this weekend, we're looking at Everlasting Father. Doesn't that sound a little peculiar to you? Everlasting Father, Jesus, aren't they kind of different from one another? And we understand the Trinity in, in somewhat of how that works. One in essence, three in person. And there is a distinctiveness between Jesus and the Father. But why would we call Jesus... Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father? Yes, absolutely. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the everlasting Father, of the Father. But not only is the ultimate revelation, if you want to get to know God, all you need to do is get to know Jesus because Jesus came to show us the Father. But not only that, he came to be the only means by which we can be reconciled to the Father. But even beyond that... Jesus modeled for us how we can relate to the Father. We're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. And he teaches his disciples how to relate to the Father. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but if you've ever been in a restaurant, you're trying to having a hard time making up your mind what you want to eat, and then you see the, the waitress comes out with this big old amazing-looking plate to the people sitting next to you. And so immediately you go, I'll have what they're having. You know, kind of like, wow, that looks really good. Or maybe that you've been out with someone and they've ordered something that looks a whole lot better than what you have. And you're thinking, oh, I should have ordered that. That's a little bit of what's happening here with the disciples. They're, they're listening to Jesus pray and he's connecting with the Father. And so they're saying, hey, teach us to pray, man. We want to have the same kind of relationship that you have with the Father. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with a word of prayer. And then we're going to dive into our text Father God, we are delighted to be here today as we celebrate Christmas, which is the celebration of heaven invading earth so that earth can experience heaven. The greatest gift is not found under the tree, but was nailed to the tree so that you could be with us, never to leave us or forsake us. God with us. God, we, we celebrate that. As our wonderful counselor, you, you help us with the dullness of life. You give us unbelievable satisfaction. As our mighty God, you help us with the the difficulties of life. As our everlasting Father, you help us with the the dimensions of life. And as our Prince of Peace, you help us with the disturbances of life. So this morning, teach us how to relate, how to connect with you, our everlasting Father, in prayer, touching every dimension of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text, and uh, let me read uh, through this. Now, Jesus, starting at verse 1, chapter 11, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, and now he's going to go through the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is an abbreviated uh, uh, Portion of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The one that most of us all memorized is actually found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And that's one I'm going to use for the the, uh, phrases as we work through this. But let me read this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now jump to verse 9. And I will tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you... If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, if I were to summarize what Jesus is saying to us, this is what it is. Everybody look up here just for a minute. If you get this, you're going to really understand as we kind of unpack the Lord's Prayer and what it means to really connect with the Father. Uh, this is what Jesus is in essence saying. If you had any idea, if you had any idea the Father heart of God towards you, if you understood what He thinks about you, how He feels about you, what He wants to do in and through your life, you would not let anything interfere with your coming to Him with all of your needs all of your desires, all of your wants. You would connect with him regularly. That's what he's saying here. Now, how do we do that? As I stated, Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, came to reconcile us to the Father, but now he's teaching us how to relate to the Father. So we're going to take the Lord's Prayer, break it down, and it is a model for prayer. It is a pattern of personal prayer to which you can build your prayer life on. It tells you everything you need to know about communication with God covering every dimension. And we start with the basis of prayer. Our Father in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he didn't say, come to God like this as the basis of prayer. Our creator, our ruler, our judge, our king. Those are all true, but he said what? Our father, our daddy, literally daddy. He's talking about the basis on which we approach Him. Here's a couple of thoughts that help us to unpack this. It's on your notes. First fill in the blank. Earthly fathers shape our concept of our heavenly Father, but God is a Father like you've never known. So if you're having a hard time with this whole Father th- idea, it's because of your upbringing. But you need to look at your heavenly Father because He's much different than your earthly Father. Next point in your notes... Your concept is healthy. So you know that you're beginning to be, begin to have a healthy concept of, of your heavenly Father when you run to Him to be with Him rather than to get from Him or to use Him. You just want to be with Him. So you know that you're getting a, a, a new concept or a healthier concept of Father God. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. We can approach our Daddy. He's our Daddy in heaven. He loves us. And if you have a right concept of that, you're going to be running to him. Some of the best, best video clips that I've seen through the years that kind of help to describe that are, are those when these dads come home from war and watch the kids and how they respond. I've got a video here I want to show you. Watch this and get a little bit of this idea of this Father God and our approach to him and our love for him. Watch this.
2: Together the most heartwarming reunions of little children and their servicemen fathers. Take a look. It was a moment of pure joy. Six-year-old John Hawes collapses into his father's arms after seven long months away. Seaman Bill Hawes has just returned from Iraq. His first stop, his son's kindergarten class in Seattle. John has no idea his father is waiting outside his classroom to surprise him. Hey, bud. (laughs)
1: Little
2: John Hawes finally had his family back together. Families across America have reason to be thankful this season as troops come home for emotional reunions with loved ones who have been missing them for many months. In Jacksonville, Florida, Navy Senior Chief Terry Doss gave his daughter Tarion the shock of her life. Tarion can't keep the smile off her face. Doss still has four months left on his tour, but for now, all that is forgotten as he goes home with his little girl. In Minneapolis, a game of volleyball is interrupted for a homecoming. Daughter Jordan didn't know that her dad, Specialist Michael Mirza, had returned from Iraq. Now that he's home, she won't let him go. In Des Moines, Iowa, a class helps give 10-year-old Zek Reeder the surprise of his life. I just thought it would be neat to just show up and surprise him. That's Zek's father, Master Sergeant Mark Reeder, getting ready for the big moment. Watch Zek's shock as his dad is led into his classroom. (laughs) Even Zek's fellow students were thrilled for him. Through his tears, Zek's smile shows what an unforgettable day this is. It's double the drama in Ohio as Marine Mike Epperson surprises his two daughters at their grammar school. Kaylee and Caitlin hold on tight to the father they haven't seen in months. After the reunion, the girls join the entire school in singing a tribute to the returning hero. It's all the Marine can do to hold back his tears on this very special day.
0: So that'll bring tears to your eyes, won't it? It's pretty heavy duty. See, here's my point. Here's my point. If you want to learn how to pray, don't look to religious people. Look to kids who have a good daddy and watch how they interact. I mean, that's what he's saying here. Our daddy in heaven. That's the basis of our prayer. Let's take the next phrase here. So the next one goes from the basis of our prayer, our daddy in heaven, to adoration. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to treat something as sacred, ultimate, the most important thing in your life. Name speaks of character, personality, attributes. It is to adore and praise God as the ultimate in your, li- in your life is what he's saying here. Here's an interesting question, and this is a very convicting kind of question or statement. What gets you to your knees reveals what you truly adore. If the only time that you pray is when things are kind of... When it's crunch time, when maybe your your relationships are being threatened or your job or finances or maybe your physical well-being and you finally you find yourself on your knees, what that is saying is that what's most important to you is, is that issue that's come up as opposed to really just spending time with the Father. When you begin to see the Father heart of God towards you, you won't just be, like I said, coming to Him with your list. You're going to be coming to Him with your love just to be with Him, just to interact with Him. And that's why He started. Starting with this idea of this personal intimate relationship with God, our daddy God, our daddy in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me give you the next point on your notes here. This is the power of proximity. The power of proximity is that the closer you get to God, the smaller and less significant everything else gets. So as you get close to God, you're going to begin to see that all of the other things in your life aren't near as as important. A mountain range doesn't look like much from a distance, but when you are standing at, at its base, you are overwhelmed with magnitude, and so it is with God. This is a, a matter of drawing closer to God and understanding His greatness, wow, and His goodness, mm. And as I said last week, that there is no greatness, wow, or goodness, mm, in creation that even comes close to the greatness and the goodness of our daddy God of our father god here 's our next uh, point on our notes. Evil is tragically real; we saw that a week ago in Newtown, Connecticut, but God is supremely great and satisfyingly good god 's greatness strengthens us to overcome any trial. So if we're being overwhelmed by trials, it's because we we need another glimpse of God's greatness. We need to begin to see more clearly who it is that is for us and not against us. He loves me. He will take care of me. So that's why we begin with, with adoration, understanding the magnitude and the majesty and the greatness of God. But if I'm being easily allured to temptation, it's because I don't really understand the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that keeps me from uh, being overwhelmed by temptation and taking the bait, so to speak. So we need to know his greatness and his goodness. That's a part of adoration. When you understand who it is that walks through your day with you, you can face anything. If you're struggling with whatever you're facing, temptation, trial, it's because you don't know how big God is and you don't know that he is for you and not against you here's the next one so it goes basis of prayer our father in heaven adoration hallowed be your name to intercession your kingdom come your will be done let me go back to this book kids say the greatest things about God there was a couple other questions I found that were really insightful very intriguing here was another question that they asked these kids what do you think your parents pray for <laughs> this, is a, this is a great, great great answer here what do you think your parents pray for? They pray they lose weight. Here's another answer. They pray they win a million dollars in the lottery. Or they pray for toys just like us, only different toys. I mean that's and that's pretty insightful because you'll notice the Lord's Prayer doesn't start with your list. It starts with Daddy, God, the basis to adoration. God, you are great. God, you are good, to now intercession. You're, you're thinking not so much about yourself, but you're thinking about others. How's that? Well, l- let, me, let me say this. Let me just use this in illustration. You've heard me use this before. That no one goes to the Grand Canyon to build their self-esteem, do they? That'd be crazy. But you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon to be captivated by the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the canyon. It it, it has a way of taking you out of yourself. You're not self-focused or self-absorbed. That's fundamentally what's wrong with us. And that's part of that sinful nature is to be self-centered, to be self-focused, to be preoccupied with self. But nothing will take you out of self like being captivated by the beauty and the glory of God. Hollywood is your name. Oh my goodness! Uh, C.S. Lewis called it a blessed self-forgetfulness. It's not that we think less of ourselves; we think of ourselves less because we're so filled with the beauty and the glory of God. And so, so you're going to see that the the petition part comes a little bit further down into the prayer as you're just interacting with God and having this sense of His majesty and glory. Here was another question that uh, these kids were asked. It says, so how long does it take to get an answer to prayer? <laughs> and here's one answer about six million years. <laughs> All right, sometimes it feels like that. Is this going to ever be answered? One kid just said one word infirmity. <laughs> it's like, I think you, you kind of confused a few words there. but uh, And here is another one. Um, in answering the question how long does it take to get an answer from prayer he's usually answered it before you asked or at the most one second after it's just it's just that we're too stupid to see the answer written all over our face (laughs) isn't that great here is the the last uh, answer here how long does it take to get an answer to prayer it takes a half hour because you have to worship first before you can ask for stuff that's very insightful because that's exactly what the Lord's prayer says. You worship for, before. You, you adore God. And this section is that you're, you're less concerned about yourself and you're more concerned about the people in your life. And so you're bringing their needs to God before you bring your needs to God. But that only happens when you're captivated and your heart is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Christ and what he's done, that, that God came to earth And lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. To give us fullness of life. I mean, you've never had a a more fuller life than than knowing him and walking with him. And so as he fills you up with knowing him, it's natural to be concerned about the well-being of others. Let me give you a couple fill-in-the-blanks as it relates to intercession. Prayer reclaims what man lost through sin and restores God's rule and reign. So our prayers can make a difference in the lives of others, we become co laborers with God. You can touch a world for God through prayer. The scope of prayer is unlimited. So, what does prayer do? Here's the next uh, couple fill in the blanks. You can bring love where there's hatred, joy where there is hopelessness, peace where there is anxiety. And I mean, and the list goes on. So, when we're praying for our family and friends, We're we're having the kingdom of God invading the kingdom of darkness that tends to surround us. And so you're pushing back the forces of the enemy and bringing in God's righteousness, peace, and joy, and love into those situations. Here's the next one. Now we get to our our own personal needs. And uh, give us this day our daily bread. And... um, I love this quote by St. Augustine. He says, For what would he not now give to sons when they ask, when he has already granted this very thing, namely that they might be sons?
1: That's great.
0: You're a child of God. Do you understand the implications of that? There's no accomplishment, there's no acquisition of stuff, there's no acclaim that even comes close to being a child of God. The favorite verse that I, you often hear me quote is 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You live in the reality of that. I mean, it, it transforms your life. And you know, God, you took care of my worst problem. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? He took care of our worst problem. He'll take care of all of our other problems. And therefore, when, the more you understand that, the more you just rest in Him. He's my daddy. He loves me. He's looking after me. So here's the next point on your notes. A good father will either give you what you asked for or give to you what you should have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. So that's our daddy in heaven taking care of us, loving us. So we bring our needs to him and, and he takes care of those. Here's the next one. Confession. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of us, when we grew up learning the Lord's Prayer, we probably used the language, forgive us of our trespasses. Anybody use that word before? Yeah. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. There was a mom that was overhearing her daughter. She had just learned this prayer and overheard her praying. And when she got to this section of Scripture, she prayed it a little bit differently. This is how she prayed it. She prayed, and God, forgive me of my trash basket as I forgive those who put trash in my basket basket Uh, that's that is really insightful because that's what what we're praying here forgive me of the trash in my basket as i forgive those who have put trash in my basket see isn't that our our issues in life those are the things that we, that really mess up our lives, are the sins that we commit and the sins that have been committed against us. Next week, I'm going to deal with those two in a little more detail and, and depth as we talk about the Prince of Peace and how Christ came to give us this peace with the Father so that we could have the, the peace of God, peace with God, peace of God, and then it brings, and it's translated into peace within our relationship and how we live our life. We'll look at it in a little bit more detail next week, but let me give you some fill in the blanks here. Confession and forgiveness is like taking out the trash once isn't enough. You ever take too long to take out the trash? How many guys out there, that's your job, take out the trash? Okay. And uh, so sometimes you let it pile up. How many get the trash and you try to shove it down in there? Anybody do that? Hey, there's still room here. I'm not going out until we get this stuff compacted. And we tend to do that until the trash is kind of overflowing and it's pretty smelly. And we do that same thing in our life. It's something he's teaching us to daily take out the trash in our lives. Take it out every day. And I think that's what complicates our lives. It brings a lot of baggage into our lives. We take those into, into our relationships, into our job, into our workplace. And so it creates all kinds of problems. Here's the next point on your notes as it relates to confession. I am able to forgive others to the degree that I have received God's forgiveness of me. One of the reasons why I have bitterness in my heart and I struggle forgiving others is because I haven't really, I'm not really receiving fully all of God's forgiveness of me. And understanding what that means. How many have ever heard this statement before? Maybe you've said this statement before. I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Show of hands, anybody? Ever hear anybody say that? Here's what you're saying. Um, In essence, you're you're actually saying this. You're saying that um, this is actually setting ourselves up as a higher court than God when you say that. You're, it's almost like you're discounting God and you're not placing him in the place of, of, of where he should be in our lives. It's a bit blasphemous, actually, to somehow have another standard other than God saying, Oh, yeah, I know God God accepts me and he forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Typically, it's built on a, on a false standard, uh, some form of idolatry, something you're trying to live up to to make yourself feel better about yourself rather than to come to God and say, Wait a minute, if God accepts me and loves me, that standard doesn't matter. Why am I living according to that? It could, it could have been something that was imposed upon you through your parents or maybe where you work or maybe it's something that you've imposed upon yourself. But, but if God forgives you and you live in the reality of that, oh my goodness, it's an amazing freedom. And you'll be very uh, giving and forgiving as a result of that. Here's the last one, Aspiration. This has to do with kind of the direction we're going in our life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. By the way, when I work through this, and I usually, I actually use this uh, really as a pattern for prayer, and I'll, I'll pause with each of these statements and walk through the implications in my own heart and mind. I just won't recite the prayer, just do it that quick. But I'll work through it and, and begin to ask myself, what are the implications? How do I apply this to my life? How do I interact with God on each of these? And so this one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil... Or the evil one, some translations it's actually more accurate to say the evil one. The word temptation here, the Greek, it can be suffering or an enticement. So it can be either temptation or trial. So it can be an enticement or a trial or a difficulty. Really all depends on you. So what we could say, we could put this in other words. Well, let's paraphrase what he's saying here. When he says, let it lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil or the evil one. Don't let my suffering entice me to sin in essence, is what he's saying. Don't let my suffering entice me to sin. Let me unpack that for you. Let me give you the next point in your notes. It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that matters most. You've heard that statement around here before. We, we, we throw that out there a lot, but I want you to think about that. It's not what happens to you. I'm not discounting what has happened to you. Many of you have gone through really horrific events in your life. I'm not minimizing that. But what matters most is what happens in you, not what happens to you. That's why you can have two people going through identical circumstances. You've heard this before. It's almost become like a cliche. Two people going through similar circumstances, difficult circumstances. One becomes bitter. One becomes better. How's that? It's not the circumstances. It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you. One, one is devastated and the other one is developed, becomes stronger. And it comes down to whether or not you let what is happening to you to push you away from God or press your heart closer to God. That's why he's praying here. He's praying, don't let my suffering entice me to sin. Don't let the difficulties that I go through entice me to sin. Now, everybody look up here. You've got to get this, and then I'll take you to the next point. It's not the events of your life that make you feel, think, and behave the way that you think, feel, and behave. It's your evaluation of those events. That's why it's very, very critical that you evaluate. That's what he's praying. Help me to see from your perspective the events of life so that I can respond as one who knows that God is for me and not against me, that you are my daddy and my life is in your hands. So when you're living in the reality of that and you begin to look at life's events, you're going to look at life's events differently. Everybody has a worldview, but do you have a biblical worldview? It will make all the difference in your life and how you respond to the circumstances of life, to the people of life, to the things of life. Last point here. When Christ becomes your most satisfying reality, your worst days are durable and your best days leaveable. Why? Why? because you always have what you most want and it's Him. And so, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but it's laying hold of His willingness. And so Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. He came to reconcile us to the Father but He also came to teach us how to relate to the Father by showing us the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this is what I want us to do. Let's, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll go through it. And my mom before us, kids would go off to school every day. We would go through the Lord's Prayer. So I memorized it in the King James. That's probably how most of you memorized it if you grew up in more of a liturgical type church. So it should be up there. You can place the words wherever you want, how they, how they go. But you, for the most part, I think we'll be able to do it all together. You guys ready? Let's do it together. One, two, three. Our Father, we art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this insight. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died so that we can have fullness of life. He came to show us how to relate to you, how to connect with you. God, we know that we were created by you, for you, to give glory to you. And God, we know that we give glory to you best when we find our deepest satisfaction in you, in relationship with you. Teach us how to do that each and every day. Help us to understand who it is that walks through our days with us. It's you, God with us. And if you be for us, who can be against us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we conclude our time together with this song?